Hey, so we are live uh, for the very last episode of the Heresy podcast. Yes, sad news, <laughs> you probably have heard. Heresy, unfortunately, will see service on April 1st. Um, you may have read the statement that we put out on our website. Long story short, um, we had a failed acquisition, folks. That's what happens. <laughs> um, it was going to be a good outcome for us. Uh, unfortunately, um, the company pulled out at the very last moment and we were left with no run rate, as it happens often. Um, we're forced to close Heresy. So big apologies again to um, all the customers who believed in us and supported us, investors, friends, family. Um, thank you so much. But, so, with that being said, what we're going to do today is something a little bit different. Instead of the usual format for this podcast that you might be used to, uh, i.e. me talking to uh, an expert uh, in sales, marketing, revenue ops, whatever it might be, and picking their brains on various strategies and tactics around building and scaling sales organizations, um, I'm actually going to be talking to um, the people who brought you Heresy, so... The core team, so on my left, oh, by the way, we're recording live today as well, in person, which is very unusual for us. Normally, we do these things over the internet. Mm. So uh, on my left, I've got Svelin um, Guspudinov, who is my co-founder and Heresy CTO. And on my right, we've got Jack Otis Barker, who is our senior front engineer. So uh, between Svil and Jack and myself... Um, we ultimately are the core Heresy team. Uh, along the three and a bit years that we were running Heresy, we were joined by various people. A uh, big shout out to everyone who contributed um, to building and running Heresy. Uh, but the core team is this, especially on the product side. Um, so what we thought was going to be a fun episode today was to basically talk to these folks and uh, you get to learn a little bit more about the uh, thinking behind it, the things that we did, the things that we learned over the course of uh, those um, three plus years building and running Heresy, some of the challenges we faced, what we liked, disliked, um, what we learned, and so forth. Hopefully sounds good. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> how about we kick off, as we normally do, with a brief introduction. So I'll start with Jack on my right here. So perhaps, Jack, you would like to tell us a little bit more about who you are uh, and what you did at Heresy. Um, okay, so I was the senior front-end developer, um, which basically meant that I was just the, the, the visuals, I guess, um, and the mechanics of the user experience and the, the, the interface that was used, etc., um, for the product, which, um, yeah, was very, very fun. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> of course you'd say that. <laughs> well, especially because of, the, of, of the, the classy nature of the way it looked, I thought um, it was doing obviously a lot. It was doing things very differently from from other industries. Um, obviously, Salesforce is pretty much a dog um, <laughs> to look at. Shots fired. Uh, so, so this was <laughs> kind of go. trying to trying to give people some rose. You know, Heresy was trying to give people some rose tinted glasses, and I appreciated that. And it was kind of my job to help that happen, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, and you're also to blame when people cannot find the add deal button yes. and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so anything, any bad user experience that obviously comes with the territory is also my fault. Um, so, <laughs> so I accept all the responsibility, good and bad. Yeah, awesome. And, and what about you, my good man? What was your role? My role? Ooh. Well, give us actually um, a bit of background. Like, tell us a bit, little bit more about... And maybe we'll go back to you in a second as well, Jack. But give us some more background about who you actually are, who's villain, and obviously what you did at Heresy. Yeah, so I've been doing uh, I've been doing full stack development for quite a while, and been a developer for 
quite a long time as well. Uh, I mean, since my really high school years. Um, I joined Dimitar quite early on in the heresy days, being monitoring what Dimitar was doing at Stack Overflow and some of the cool stuff he's doing around Adra and sales. So um, to say it in a way, I was kind of patiently waiting for Dimitar oh. to kind of finally decide to make some something bigger out of this. Uh, so yeah, when Dimitar started uh, working on this, um, we decided to get the team up together and one wonderful summer we started uh, working on this full time. Hacking away in, in, in yeah, your flats. In, in the flat, a lot of time drinking coffees in Ozone. <laughs> uh, Shout yeah. out Ozone, great place, great coffee. Great yeah. coffee, yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah, since the beginning, uh, obviously, I guess a startup CTO role is very hard to define and really varies from, mm. uh, from startup to startup. So my my kind of the things I did kind of changed quite quite yeah. a lot over the years. But um, to kind of summarize it, uh, I was I was mostly working on the architecture of the product, doing all of the backend APIs and backend infrastructure, um, responsible for also hiring and also being a founder working closely with Udemeter mm. to kind of align the business, the strategy, and our and the vision of the of the company going forward. Let's. Uh, I'm going to come back to this, especially the architecture piece, but um, a little bit more about you, Jack, because uh, I kind of felt like it didn't give us a complete overview of who you actually are. So okay. you've got a pretty, so, uh, I mean, in terms of what you did the heresy, bang on, but you've got mm -hmm. a very interesting background. So you come from a gaming development background, right? Yeah, so, so I started out actually as an illustrator. So um, into, I was working into... Um, at the time, it was Macromedia's Flash. Um, uh, you know, this was you know ten or more years. This is more than ten years ago. Don't have to and, know uh, which. Um, <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. If it's more than ten years ago, that is a fact. Um, and uh, and it was at university. I was putting myself basically not through uni with this money, but certainly it was drinking money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, I just kind of opened up the hood of, of, of that program and just started tinkering around. Yeah. So doing little animations and programming. Basically, I, at times I would do animations and then I would program the kind of behaviors, I guess, into the, the animation. Um, and so when I started doing that, obviously the person that, was, that I was working for at the time sort of saw potential and uh, essentially I learned uh, a hell of a lot through the colleagues that I was working for uh, in that company. And it was like educational software, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it was quite visual as well. Um, and then, yeah, that's how I basically, I learned ActionScript 2, ActionScript 3, and then, uh, and then the next iteration of that was basically JavaScript. I mean, obviously, JavaScript was there previously, but it just didn't have, um, it wasn't as popular then um, mm -hmm. to, to sort of as a fully-fledged yeah. programming language for an application. So... And then I jumped ship to JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, and and that's how I got yeah. where I am now. And and how much would you say um, that background in illustration and sort of creating thinking and developing games has contributed towards um, your work at Heresy in terms of how you approached UX UI? Yeah, I think quite a lot because um, it's obviously very visual that world so um being able to translate kind of complicated ideas visually even as far as um the educational software world goes because that's quite important in educational mm. software so and actually funnily enough you know one of the things we were talking about with heresy 
was that it looked in the beginning when we were talking about it looking a bit like a, a toy, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think that is true to an extent. And, and, and we were sort of having problems with how easy it looked to use um, and yet how complicated yeah. some mm -hmm. of the calculations and the anal an analysis was, yeah. was behind it. So yeah, you did a very um, good blog post about uh, some of the changes that we announced. Was it a year ago? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, actually, just... that was my only blog post. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the best blog post I did, but it was the only blog post I did. We should, uh, we should link it. Um, so if you're interested, um, it is indeed a very good blog post and we'll link it um, yeah. in the comments at the bottom mm. once we release this this episode okay um, <laughs> and so so you said something interesting a big part of what we um, um, set out to do was to basically simplify um, a lot of the uh, the, the <laughs> let's say the massacre that basically goes on in, in I don't know, I don't want to throw under the bus I don't want to throw Salesforce under the bus but a lot of the CRMs you know and obviously let's take Salesforce mm -hmm. as an example um, visually it could be very difficult to get a grasp of what's happening so a big part of what we were trying to do is surface actionable information that normally you might miss um, so simplicity was a big part of uh, what we're trying to accomplish um, but I want to turn back to, to Swilla and, and talk about the architecture so you mentioned you know your, your key sort of roles looking after the architecture of the product and um, we or well, we say we I should say you chose a very uh, interesting um, tech stack to to work on um, when we started building Heresy, it was a contentious point. We, you know, we, we were. <laughs> I remember the conversation quite vividly. Should we do this? It's it's so new. It's going to be very difficult to hire people and whatnot. So, wanted to uh, wanted to, wanted you to tell us a little bit more as to why you made that decision, especially given that yourself you had not actually worked on on Elixir. And uh, let me just shamelessly plug you in. You are now actually writing about a book on, on Elixir. Yes. So you could probably tell us a little bit more about that when when it's out, etc. Uh, but but first and foremost, why why Elixir? What was it about Elixir that sort of caught your attention? And you yeah, thought this is the way the way to go. Yeah, I actually spent spent a good amount of time just looking into the whole community, looking into the ecosystem and uh, like picking a, picking a language and a framework to start building something serious, not just a side project or like a pet project or something mm. on the side. You know, picking something that you actually, you know that you're going to build upon and being a startup, you're going to build upon that very rapidly and very quickly. You obviously want to make a good choice, right? So. I spent a couple of months just looking into the ecosystem, the, um, uh, the community, what's available out there, uh, the quality of the libraries available and um, overall the educational resources available. So it was quite an extensive research that, mm. uh, that I did uh, maybe even months because I was already looking into yeah. uh, Elixir yeah. and Phoenix, which is uh, the, the number one framework which everyone uses and we also use. Uh, probably probably the first thing that caught my eye is uh, the ability to build real-time uh, web applications right. and being a language developed by former Ruby uh, core team developers it's also, it's also quite um, it has a really nice syntax and it's very easy to get into so it has a powerful syntax uh, interesting style of programming and some really really powerful features now, when you when you approached me the first time and you said, okay, we're gonna, I'm thinking about building this, you know, this kind of agile platform is gonna have, you know, this amazing like agile tools, there'll be burndowns and there'll be Kanban boards and stuff. 
initially I was thinking, you know, this sounds like a really good fit for something that's, you know, can work really fast and work really nicely mm -hmm. in real time to mm -hmm. give people a real feel of collaboration and feel that things are actually happening in front of them rather than, you know, having to refresh or having to wait for data to appear or something to yeah. happen. So I saw this almost as not just as a not just as a technological decision, but also as something that's part of the user experience. Yeah. Because having a product that works fast and, and works quickly and having this real-time capabilities for me was a big plus. And it turned out it was actually a really good decision because months, few months later, when we actually started working on our Salesforce integration and importing loads of data, we started using more and more of the Elixir ecosystem yeah. and the Erlang ecosystem. So a lot of the things that we've done around importing data and uh, our syncing. data processing pipeline, yeah. syncing, all that stuff we could do at very good scale with very minimum resources, which every founder will appreciate, keeps the mm. bills low yeah. and, and gives you the peace of mind that, you know, if overnight an American company with like 100 people on board and that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of deals, you know, it's not going to crash your servers. Yeah. Yeah. So that really yeah. helps as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, overall, you know, although it seemed like a bit of a uh, adventurous choice at the beginning, and and certainly <laughs> and, and certainly helped, you know, spice things up. Yeah, <laughs> as if you know, starting a company is not uh, yeah, <laughs> is not a challenge enough. enough yeah. You know, <laughs> let's throw in a new language on a framework yeah. and thing. Well, talk, talking about this, you know, challenges. That's a that's a good one. I mean, uh, life, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, life in startup land is is never short of challenges. Um, and obviously we had our share of ups and downs. Mm. Uh, what would you say, Jack, what would you say was the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges that um, you encountered working at Harris? It could be, listen, it could be, you know, you know, from a technical standpoint, mm. it could be from a business standpoint, it could be from a personal standpoint. Obviously, Svillin and I are lovely people and everyone else who's been employed at yeah. Heresy is a superstar. So I don't expect it to say, I, uh, you know, had to work with a bunch of plebs. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no. uh, jokes aside, what, what would you say was... Um, or maybe not the biggest one, but some of the challenges, you know, things that y you found hard. Mm -hmm. um, I think in a way, may, well, there's several challenges. I mean, to, the, the challenge, I guess the most obvious kind of challenge was trying to communicate to salespeople who I didn't really know particularly well. Yeah. Um, so like... You know, at all. Ways. You didn't know them at all. Right? No, exactly. We'll get to that. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Like, I suppose it's really difficult with software because you very rarely really see how it's being used and what people are actually thinking of it. So it's very yeah. hard to get close to uh, people's real opinions of it. And I think that's that's obviously as well why you can you know, software startups can, you know, um, can fall so hard is because, you know, that, that feedback loop isn't there. It's not a tight feedback loop necessarily. Um, people are always very lovely about your, about what you've done. Um, not always like very, very honest about it. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe there's, may, maybe the difficulty was essentially getting, understanding a salesperson, what they wanted and and sort of thinking about how to how to make that better and this wasn't from a programming perspective or from a even from a design perspective it was more like you know as a company being involved because i, I because obviously you involve me quite 
you know, in other decisions and in other thoughts yeah, about the company. Yeah. That was the, the, the hardest thing about that element of it is, is just kind of knowing, like wanting to help and wanting to bring us forward, but not quite sure knowing exactly where we, we what the, the next thing to do would be in order yeah. to solve the problems that were immediately yeah. ahead of us. Well, I, w- I would say that, you know, it's, I mean, if you could, if you knew what problems are going to come around the corner, then, you yeah. know, that's, you know, 99% of the job done. But, yeah. um, that's the, the, you know, tough thing about, like, say, bringing a product that doesn't exist to market, yeah. trying to address problems that do exist, but perhaps people have not really thought about them mm. the way you have thought about mm. them. Um, but, yeah, that's, I hear what he's saying. I've yeah. got one specific thing that I'm thinking right now that you know we we all work very hard around and maybe maybe I'll just share it so you remember um very very so you joined so we raised money pre-product mm. uh on 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 the methodology uh, and things that I had worked on the stack overflow so very proven way of building and running sales teams but still we didn't have a working product so we basically had to build it from scratch and uh, we grappled with this decision whether we should put speed first and get like an MVP, so to speak, out to market as quickly as possible, which is what we opted in for. And that was at the cost of basically having a standalone standalone platform data not being fed in through a third party, i.e. a CRM. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things I remember was um, we ended up with a, if you remember, you know, we're talking quite a few years ago now, but we ended up with a very big waiting list um, shout out to Steve from TechCrunch for uh, doing a great feature on us. Uh, a lot of a lot of people basically were keen to try the product. And when we actually opened the um, the, the waitlist, lots and lots of people came in, and we had this challenge that you know people come in and we had this like beautiful but empty product, mm. and because it was empty, it didn't look so beautiful, and perhaps because it was a new methodology and a new way of approaching and thinking about sales, people would literally come in, look around, mm. so to speak, and then leave. Mm. What did you make of that? Because obviously yeah. we ended up solving it later. It was. It, um, I mean, that's a really good example because for the because this, this was the kind of first startup that I I've worked for really, so I didn't really get that um, that you know people could possibly just come in, look around, and then and then piss off again without even like <laughs> yeah that, like, no evidence because whatsoever. because the companies I'd worked for have had already established the 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 you know the user you know the uh, the audience yeah so so that blew my mind when it was like oh right we could have all this interest and then suddenly it would not go anywhere yeah and I think you what you're kind of angling towards is essentially correct that we had we had thought that people would come in and not being invested in the product they might start to use the product the way that we wanted them to use it but mm-hmm. in fact actually what happened was they kind of they didn't do any of that. They didn't use it the way we wanted them to use it, and they didn't. In, they weren't invested in it. So uh, we had a problem of essentially, you know, them not being tied into our product. Yeah. And 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 I didn't realize at the time how important that was. But now I know, you know, with the decision we made to pivot to Salesforce and have the Salesforce integration and have all of that data ready available. Now I know that that yeah. was definitely the right thing to yeah. do. So this, I'll turn back to you, um, Subi. Um, so this was this was always on the map, you know, that we were going to do that the Salesforce integration again. The decision was very much, do we do it right now, knowing the Salesforce could be quite, um, quite a challenge to 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 work with, uh, or do we just get something out to market, get instant feedback, at least whether directionally we were right, 
around what we're thinking and, and so forth. Um, and we had a, a you know a, sort of a quite an in-depth conversation as well. Um, and we decided that we're going to ship it first. Looking back, what do you make of it? Well, pre pre the GDPR days, I think uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it was a completely different story because we we yeah it was a. It, yeah, it was a it's a careful balance, right? You you want to capitalize on the hype and the and the build up around the TechCrunch article, and you leaving Stack Overflow, working on exciting new venture, announcing the funding, yeah. all, all all that stuff, and you don't you don't want to kind of be be kind of forgotten and then announce something months later yeah. and discover that there are some issues, mm-hmm. or you can start shipping things piece by piece and you know gradually building it over. So there are pros and cons. I guess what's what really worked in our way again nowadays not possible after GDPR, but yeah. we could as, as long as people were on bullet in the platform, we could have still sent them an email to try to bring them back in. Yeah. Now yeah, yeah, now that's yeah. not really possible because you've got really this one shot to get people on board, and if they choose you know not to yeah. be contacted. Stuff. you cannot really was, you cannot really yeah. spam them to bring them back well, I, wouldn't, <laughs> so. I wouldn't call spam but you know that's actually a very good point which i had uh, erased from my memory because it was quite painful when we had to bin it but we did have some pretty nice automation around user behavior and what sort of cadence we send you based on what you did or did not do and actually you're absolutely right that yeah we had to go we completely could, had to yeah go. we could yeah. we could and and we had uh, a nice uh, a nice long list of emails which we collected and yeah. again pre-gdpr completely fine and but that was opt-in that was all legit that was basically um, the way yeah yeah people so. people subscribe but yeah. um yeah. again <laughs> thank you steve for for the great feature <laughs> Yeah. Now, now looking back, I mean, obviously it would have been better to uh, launch Salesforce easier, but yeah, it's hard to say what how would uh, what would have yeah. this triggered, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so ask Jack about some of the, the toughest things that you know, or the hardest things that the challenges that he 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 faced working on on the product. You know, you mentioned obviously Salesforce. That was, you know, that was kind of a mind thing, right? <laughs> wanna wanna elaborate that? I, I guess you would rank Salesforce somewhere up top in terms of challenges. Or, or am I mistaken? Um, Definitely among the among the top. It's uh, it's been uh, how do I put it? Pain in the ass. Is this yeah, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> mild way to put yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the Salesforce ecosystem, is so large, and uh, you know the greatest thing about it, which is you being able to customize it, is also the worst thing about it. Yeah. So yeah, if we have say we have launched um, an integration that would have been based on our limited. Uh, limited knowledge about the ecosystem and as we learned when we uh, after we launched it uh, and in a way we've been still learning months after we launched you know the integration there are so many different uh, possible ways to configure it and I'm fairly confident that now we can probably onboard, I guess, 97% yeah. of instances, but you yeah. always we find someone, you you're always, saying, right? yeah, you have to go through quite a lot of uh, edge cases to realize that, um, yeah, you have to allow for a very, very um, great conf- configurability to be able yeah. to really yeah. onboard all these people. And we're just discovering all these things yeah. as we go. There is no manual, there is no handbook. You should do integrations this way. It's, yeah. literally, yeah. it's literally learning as you go. So. Uh, yeah, I think through experience, we were able to get to a point where we can really onboard a vast majority of yeah. people. But even now, we uh, we still allow people to do some configurations and yeah. customizations on their own to be able to kind of yeah. make the workflow available. In and that's a brilliant point you make uh, about the, the the joys, let's say, in um, air quotes I'm doing, uh, and, and, uh, and challenges working with Salesforce. The fact that you say you can kind of 
completely um, basically uh, dismantle the product and then build it from the ground up makes it incredibly challenging if you're trying to connect your application with it uh, in a way that allows a user to work um, simultaneously in either, well, work in either and simultaneously update the other one. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, this is again something new that we're going to do today. Normally, it's a 20 to 30, one hour long session, nonstop, back and forth. But today, we're going to do something quite interesting. Jack, who conveniently missed that from the introduction, is uh, a professional DJ. No, I'm not a professional <laughs> DJ. Well, you do, you do DJ. You've got, so we're in Jack's flat recording today. He's got a very extensive vinyl collection that is sitting uh, uh, right in front of me. Um, Don't forget uh, the din on uh, the din on audio system. Yep, that as well, which I totally didn't see. It's serious hi-fi. Um, and the disco ball that I can see on the ceiling. I mean, this is quite a funky setup we've got here. Um, but without digressing, um, we're going to play some music today. So a big part of um, of the office culture that we had at Heresy was that we would listen to to um, music, uh, which kind of seems like something that everyone mm. does. Mm. But again, having Jack on board and uh, sort of a, a very diverse um, sort of tasty music across the team made it a lot of fun. So mm. one thing we're going to do today is play some tunes. So the thing I thought we should start with, the, the first tune, so we're going to take a musical break, mm. um, is, well, maybe we can only pick up, well, pick a song from, uh, or a short snippet from um, a um, a set on Mixcloud. It's a trip hop uh, set on Mixcloud that um, we used to listen to a lot when, back when we were working. Uh, Victoria Chambers, Sweden's old residence where... Um, Paul Street. Paul Street, yeah, uh, where right where, in the center of Shoreditch. Yeah, where Heresy, the good days. <laughs> Heresy was built. Uh, uh, yeah, this is coming from Mixcloud. Uh, shout out to Nico and the team. Great product. We love you guys.
And we are live again. Live again. So speaking of uh, challenges, the only thing I can imagine that's more difficult than uh, doing a startup is actually having children. And someone oh, had not just <laughs> and someone had not just one but two kids in the last three years while uh, building a company at the same time. So what can you tell us, Dimitar? How did you find <laughs> these challenges along the way? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is really funny. I just want to say this that you know uh, I uh, told Phil and Jack that you know normally I, I sort of prepare my guests um, as in I give them a rough idea of what we're going to talk about topic-wise, not specific questions, but topics. And I didn't do that today. And I think they hated me for it. And now Phil has <laughs> uh, flipped the script that he's throwing me under the bus. Uh, okay, building startups and, and kids. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, building kids, that came out wrong. <laughs> um, well, okay, yeah, so yeah, I had two daughters in, in, in the time, well, my wife did. Uh, we had two children in the time that, um, um, we basically started Heresy. So literally, I think this is quite, quite funny. I think uh, my uh, older daughter, Sophia, was born pretty much uh, the same, maybe like a few days apart from like V1 Heresy. Exactly a week. Out. Exactly yeah. a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a very, uh, well, I mean, you know, this is going to sound so cliche, but it is a life-changing experience, um, you know, becoming a father and, and having, you know, children. Um, you know, your outlook on life changes and, um, I kind of don't want to go that down that path, you know, and talk about this cause it just seems like a bit like emotional and cliche and whatnot. But what I say about, um, um, this in the context of building a company, uh, is they definitely, definitely puts a lot of constraints around, um, well, two things. Number one, how much time you can dedicate to physically work because you have to sustain a human being, well, in my case, later down the line, two human beings alive. Uh, and both my wife and I uh, um, don't have immediate family in the UK, so that kind of makes it even harder to do it. Um, and the other one is just, uh, you know, headspace. Um, again, like the experience is, is you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's quite brutal, especially if things don't go according to plan and you have health issues and whatnot. Um, so, you know, your mind is sort of, pull to all sorts of directions. And at the same time, you have to think really hard about solving really, really hard questions and problems at work. So it has been challenging, but hey, you know, it's such is life and, um, you know, not, I'm sure I'm not the first, definitely not the last founder to, to you know, have uh, um, children while building a company. So, you know, it's something that, you know, you have to just get on with and, and, and you know. We always sort of joked about how heresy was your third child in a way <laughs> <laughs> well it was my second for, for, for a long time and well then... i guess it was your first really because i mean if you think about it um oh, started sophia was, <laughs> yeah sophia was was born yeah in february just about yeah. six months after you'd raised right? yeah yeah and also to be fair um to heresy my first child my firstborn <laughs> um you know we had been thinking and working uh, on it for a long time even like back at stack overflow where it wasn't called heresy, but you know, mm -hmm. we did end up building a product again, inverted commas, uh, air quotes, um, around it. So yeah, um, kind of feel like this put a mm -hmm. bit of a down on uh, on the conversation. But <laughs> no, yeah. no, not at all. I think it's inspiring <laughs> it's, to be able to do yeah. do what you did. What uh, was your favorite uh, part of the whole journey and of uh, building Favorite, here? favorite, the yeah. hardest. Which one? I haven't asked you about your favorites. Oh, okay. I've hardest. Asked about, hard, the hardest. Toughest. Done that toughest. 
uh, children aside obviously children that's really aside, tough, yeah, but that's, let's that's, focus on the product, <laughs> the product. Um, well I mean you, you touched upon it didn't you um, I thought that was very challenging you know this this sort of as you say this um, idea of I mean there's so many and they, they keep on changing right but like for a long time when we first started this this uh, whole sort of conundrum whether we go with a standalone product just so we can get something out of the doors and get user feedback ASAP or do we actually work on integrations and try to pull data from third parties. Um, that was a very tough one. Um, and again, um, I remember vividly having a conversation with Chris uh, Tottenham from um, from Notion Capital, who, you know, they do these whiteboarding sessions where you go and like talk to them about like, what are you thinking of building? How are you gonna approach it? And they're all operators, so they've got like very valuable things to say. And Chris was of the opinion um, that we should definitely, definitely go down the path of having integrations to begin with. Um, and I think he was right, looking back. But again, as you, as you said, Spillin, no, it's, it's, uh, it's um, y yeah, you do learn an awful lot from not having gone down the other path. Yeah, building well. integration is, is easier said than done. You know, depends on the integration. Yeah, especially if that integration is Salesforce, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm very doubtful now these days when someone comes and says, oh, we've done like 20 integrations, and I looked at the list and look at what they actually do, and it's, <laughs> it's like, yep, you know, that's like one way to put it. You know, it's, yeah, there's yeah. an integration and an integration. Yeah, there's definitely varying levels of integration. Yeah, because what, what we've done, um, all the real-time stuff and the two async, and, and we did it gradually. We don't ship everything in one go. We... We shift something that uh, you are calling for a long time, the, the half sync. <laughs> was it half yeah, sync yeah. or halfway sync? <laughs> which was one and a half funny. way. One and a half yeah. way sync, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which would uh, let people still manage their Salesforce instance, but won't pull the data uh, back from Salesforce because, you know, we thought it would have been great if people just spent all their time in here, yeah. which uh, is never the case. So, yeah. Well, this is another interesting lesson to be learned, you know, how, you know, you design your software in a way that... So you design your software um, based on how you want people to interact with it and what you want to accomplish out of this interaction. So in our case, we basically said, if we do X, Y, and Z, this should lead to people spending all their time in Heresy and not in Salesforce. And actually we found out that that was true for nine out of 10 times. You know, We basically did enough for people to think it was more attractive and better use of their time to work in Heresy than Salesforce. But you know why I say it's one and a half way think is because we run into this really stupid but very real problem of someone going on holiday they don't have um uh, well their colleagues don't have heresy and so their their colleagues update their salesforce instance while their manager accounts while people are away and whatnot uh in in salesforce and then when that person comes back and logs into heresy everything is out of sync and this is kind of where we really stumbled so that's why we really needed that t true two-way sync Mm. Yeah, I think it would have been quite frustrating from a user perspective to not be able to um, dip into using Heresy, dip into using Salesforce, you know, when it mattered. And, and also because the complexity of Salesforce, it basically meant that you know, there were things that Heresy would never be able to do in Salesforce. So you, so pe people were never going to fully leave Salesforce, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was happy when we we fully integrated and uh, had the two-way sync, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I think onboarding was also, was also kind of partial to the whole problem. And I think our onboarding now is pretty slick after a few, a mm. few revisions. Yeah. And mm. 
if you remember, uh, we, we were featured on useronboarding.com. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Uh, you don't know. Um, I, think, I think I told you. Anyway. <laughs> the, UI, the UI expert, but you didn't uh, know that we were featured. Um, no, I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, useonboarding.com. Check the site out if okay. anyone wants to learn about um, mm. uh, how companies how uh, do fare? onboarding. I think it was pretty good. We well, got the um, featured. Is, is, yeah, we yeah, got we got featured. <laughs> there was some uh, d- there, there was some uh, some tips and some um, some feedback uh, for potential improvement. But overall, right. I think. Uh, we got to a point where uh, we could support, you know, very complex salesforce setups and very complex configurations with, with minimum, if any, interaction. Yeah, so p- it was pretty much a self-service yeah. affair yeah, where yeah, people yeah. would go through the floor, get, you know, their team and teammates, and yeah. you know, set everything themselves and get to actually use the product straight yeah. away. But, you know, again, this was uh, one of the one of the things with it incrementally. Well, going back to what you asked me earlier, by the way, what was your, you know, the, the thing you enjoyed the most? I can't remember how you phrased it, but, you know, one thing that I definitely enjoyed hearing a lot was how slick both our interface and overall product is, but particularly the onboarding session mm-hmm. with regards to Salesforce. Because, again, everyone who has worked with Salesforce knows what a giant Salesforce is and how easy it is to get lost in setting mm-hmm. up. Uh, and, um, yeah, again, the, the way we approached it, um, with hardly, if, if any, interaction with us in order for you to set up uh, and being able to set the whole thing up in, 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 you know, depending on how complicated your instance is, but really like in a couple of minutes mm. without any technical background is is something that I think a lot of people appreciate. And then just hearing yeah. this being like, hey, you know, I've just started using a product is by far the slickest thing in terms of onboarding that I've ever seen. That was something that always put a mm. big smile on my face. Yeah, mm. particularly the the way we import data, and after a couple of seconds, you know, thousands yeah. of deals just pop up, yeah. and you got all your matrix analytics and yeah. burn downs working. And that is basically, <laughs> you know, the, the the fruits of very hard labor shared between the two of you, <laughs> the right? The strange like, thing, though, about onboarding is that it's one of these things that you know the user does once in your whole in their whole journey yeah. with you. They just do it once, so it's kind of this. Thing that you know needs to be good you know should be it's basically the open door to your whole product but then at the same time you know they're never going to go back there again yeah. so it's this really weird thing and, and prioritizing um onboarding and and like prioritizing things at the right time it was obviously quite difficult to like to, you know work out what what should what's the most important thing and was but i think we did a pretty good job at adding um you know, functionality to the onboarding and uh, updates, uh, design updates and stuff like that, mm. given the fact that, you know, there was that, you know, towards the end, it was it was harder to get people to actually go through those experiences because, you know, we had most of us of hardcore followers um, and, and, and they had already been through the experience already. So, yeah, I thought we did a pretty good job with onboarding, definitely. Um, I just wish that more people would have got to experience it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But let's not forget that the original, the original idea, because our onboarding for people who who haven't tried it, if you haven't tried it, you still got two months <laughs> to yeah. go to onboard. <laughs> but uh, let's let's not forget the, the original purpose was not just to get people to configure some stuff like a wizard, but to also educate them. And uh, this whole idea came from you, Dimitar. Mm, which one? The idea of actually uh, presenting people with a series of mm. uh, series of uh, visual screens so they can see as they configure the oh, yeah. instance they actually see right. how it impacts 
um, how yeah. it impacts the bundle and how yeah. it impacts forecasting. Yeah. 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 And uh, and as you create like a couple of deals, you see how they uh, how, what what is the actual relationship between the Kanban yeah. and, and the bundle. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it serves this kind of two real purposes you yeah. know to configure and to also educate at the yeah, same time yeah. so well yeah it's the Demeter yeah. for well, drawing it, it on the, least, on the yeah, sketch pad the <laughs> I remember actually when yeah. you drew that on the sketch yeah. pad and it was like oh my god this is a great idea oh yeah, yeah. okay well Jack, I think Jack I, said I wish I wish damn I wish I thought about it yeah, first yeah, I that's I what you said I don't remember that I remember you guys hating me for it because it was I think a lot of work to actually get done but it's hey look you know it's good to hear this now I don't think so no I think the one thing that I thought was problematic was the um the making people do the deals in the not in the standalone version yeah 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 like because yeah, and yeah. the re- and one of, one of the main reasons is actually quite a selfish reason is because when testing the product it was just a real drag to have oh, to turn my sticks <laughs> yeah <laughs> so testing onboarding is like the worst but, yeah you know it has to be done but ironically look you know this is so funny you say this now because the fact that you hated it it's probably a good leading indicator that a lot of people would actually hate it and that was a stumbling block later down the line mm-hmm. when we actually shipped it in the standalone Maybe. version which we supported for a very long time you know what did we say we kind of imposed the limit of like three deals that you had to add or something yeah you had to add three deals so you can actually and, and, see and again it was to educate people and i think in a lot of ways it does educate people and they can kind of see but yeah, it, I don't know, maybe perhaps we needed to just add some template deals that weren't yeah. actually their own deals. But uh, I don't know. But do you remember why I just, you know, gosh, like it's, it's funny that, you know, we're talking about this now. But the reason why we had the three, I think it actually might have been five, mm. which is worse because obviously every single deal is like, oh my God, why are these it guys asking me to do it? It started as five, but I remember that the, the reason why is because we actually had worked out the, the likelihood of you to stick around and use the product increased mm, yeah, like much. fivefold or I can't remember by by what you if know if you had if you had added at least five deals to begin with yeah, yeah. um but uh yeah what it actually transpired was that a lot of people were not even willing to put in you know one they're like oh god like mm. whatever i don't have time for this well the p i guess it's those people that wanted to just get in look around and then piss yeah off again. <laughs> yeah which i guess in its own Which right is a good way we to need to get rid of them anyway yeah so. fair enough yeah fair yeah. enough let me um let me ask you you two then um, uh, this is an interesting one for me and I, I kind of have picked up a lot of it along the way in terms of how you felt about this but neither of you well, you both came to you know to, to heresy with no prior experience or knowledge of the sales industry and you know sales folk and and whatnot, um, <laughs> and um, you know uh, at the end of this journey, I dare say you, you, you got a pretty deep understanding of both the space, the products, toolage, you know infrastructure, as well as the people involved and. Um, and the, yeah, the various characters that mm. um, sort of comprise this interesting space. Um, curious to hear what you've learned, what you, you liked about <laughs> the space, if anything, <laughs> what you disliked. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Uh, yeah, as, as an engineer, you know, as someone who basically mm. comes with no, you know, preconceived notions about what they're likely to experience, what did you make of all this? Right, right. I mean, unfortunately, ne- I never had to learn about the classic way of uh, of doing sales. I mean, a, a little bit possibly, but uh, you know, the way we do, uh, uh, the way we see sales in in heresy is is very much, you know, how I approach development every day. So for me, some of the concepts that we 
actually try to teach people are quite were quite familiar of course obviously there's a lot of terminology all of stuff which i had no clue about which is why a lot of places in in our court we've got uh, wrongly named yeah. uh, things like sales cycles and stuff yeah. which should be yeah. forecasting cycles I mean, we, and would so. ne- we never corrected that behavior <laughs> never because ever. it was just burnt into our yeah yeah, yeah yeah quite quite a few because it was just difficult for me to like name things in code um mm. using uh, sales terminology which i, I couldn't properly understand at, yeah. the, at the point but um yeah i mean as i was um seeing how how people work and uh, the the effort involved i think i got to actually appreciate how difficult it is to mm. be actually in that space and to work in that industry and i saw um i saw with time like how much impact we can actually make because when you see people struggling and and doing some really complicated stuff and that really doesn't help them and gets in the way and <laughs> doesn't actually impact their work in any meaningful way but they have to do it actually you, you start really seeing the benefit because at the beginning you know i was like yeah okay you know sales like very old school you know very outdated we bring them cool tools and we change everything but yeah, again, I had very little understanding how messed up <laughs> yeah. the, the whole industry could be. And, you know, obviously it varies. You know, you get some organizations which really got the things that we, we do and really understood yeah. and jumped on the train. And, and then you get organizations which are, have such a out-of-date way of thinking, which yeah. is like really, it was really hard for me to imagine that um, uh, such organizations can still function nowadays yeah. where people will get... Uh, you know blamed and uh, get isolated and get pressured to like deliver and then just fired rather than given a chance and given an opportunity yeah, to yeah, improve and and yeah so yeah that that for me was you know <laughs> eye-opening and yeah. uh, a little bit uh, scary but you know hey just one of the things that you know yeah. made me you know work even more hmm. harder to before before i turn to you i just want to say um something and clarify that you know a lot of the organizations and a lot of the Going back to what you said, within the round adoption, you know, yes, you know, there's certainly companies that are very stuck in the way they do things. And obviously, with us coming with a completely radical way of approaching things, it might be too much to swallow in many ways. But I think, uh, again, like one of the sort of the the big lessons learned for me um, in this whole journey was that, uh, especially at the enterprise level, there's so many different stakeholders involved and so many minds to change. And, you know, some of the processes have been so deeply embedded down for such a long time that even if you come up with a better, more efficient way of doing things that could be, um, um, you know, not only more efficient, but done, you know, faster and, and cheaper for the organization and more productive for the reps, there will be still a lot, a lot of resistance in terms of adopting it. So very often it's not necessary to say these guys are just very stupid. Um, it, it is also to say, look, you know, the organizational complexity and the, the, the way people have been doing things is just so b- big that kind of ripping everything apart and substituting it with something new might be too much for a lot of folks to sort of um, yeah. to, to handle. And, um, it's, and it's not just giving people, like you said, giving a tool, but also involves a lot of changes, you know, upper on the upper kind of management level. So yeah, the, yeah. the psychology and the way people do things, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a big, uh, big change. One thing yeah. I'll say, and again, sorry, I keep on delaying. I really want to hear what you have to say about this. But one thing that I, I remember hearing, which was kind of, it's, it was a tricky one. Do you remember we had uh, in one of our early companies that we onboarded, um, we had a very successful rep, uh, individual contributor who used the product a lot. Um, and um, I had the chance to sit down with her and talk about you know, ways we could improve it, um, what we could do. And the one thing I remember she told me, which I, kind of, I was like, I was so confused. She said, oh, I really like it, but I wish Heresy 
uh, had better things to tell me more often. Because, you know, one of the things that we obviously focused on was here's areas that we can improve. Um, here deals that based on uh, um, our algorithms, we think uh, you'd be better off actually closing them or moving on. Or here deals that are basically beginning to look a bit suspicious you should probably pay more attention to them etc and very often you know those will be highlighted they'll have like different markers they'll be you know um yeah highlighted in red whatever and the thing that she had to say was like oh you know i like the product but i wish it had like better things to tell me i wish it made me feel a little bit better about myself mm. so you know it's very interesting like how do you find this balance where you know you tell the user what actually is going on because at the end of the day that's what you want to do you want to be seeking the truth and, and helping them by, you know, helping them discover that truth. But at the same time, I totally got what she was saying. Mm. As, a, as someone building software, you want to make sure that people actually get joy from using it mm. and they feel good about themselves. So you kind of have these two conflicting yeah. narratives. I um, mean, the, the, this kind of ties into how I feel about salespeople in general is like, uh -oh. that, well, no, the, through, this is actually through, Careful. Like, this, <laughs> through, through the company, essentially, like not, you know, I, I, I don't have many interaction, interactions with salespeople anyway, but my feeling is that like, that they're, they're pushing treacle up a hill, like every single day, right. You know, that they're basically, they've got a really, really hard job. And the whole point of heresy was to stop them telling themselves the lies that they were telling themselves. That's how I saw heresy. Yeah, yeah. It was like a truth giver. Yeah. So this ties into what you just said with this, this um, one of our clients that had, that, where you'd asked her opinion on, on what they could input on what we could improve. And yeah, like I get it. <clears throat> you know, the last thing you want to do, especially if you're considering buying a product or considering subscribing to a product is to open up the product. And the first time the product just goes, you're doing terribly. Like yeah. you're, you're awful. You know, all your deals are going to, they're not going to close. You yeah. Know, and there's skulls everywhere. Cause we've made a decision that a dead deal was actually represented with a red skull, yeah, um, which is scary yeah. you know? <laughs> it's when you open up the thing and there's just red everywhere. So I get it. Like, I think, yes, we, perhaps we could have soft sweetened the pill a little mm -hmm. bit, sugared the pill rather. But um, it's a bit of a matrix situation, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, like which, which do you take? Yeah, do you want the truth or do you yeah. want, or do you want the the? And you cannot sugarcoat fantasy. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's like though, and 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 that's baked. I think that kind of fantasy maybe has to exist in that world because that world is so perilous, you know, and it's so your ego can be shattered so easily in that world. That you know, there has to be some fantasy and some hierarchy there. Mm -hmm. Whereas, obviously, coming from a development perspective, there's less. The, the teams are you know less hierarchical. It's a flatter structure. There's not so much coming from the top yeah. in terms of actual work. So, it's easier to be data driven. It's easier to be um, you know sort of to deal with the realities. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Do you feel like a lot of salespeople in your experience, or at least the ones that we had the, um, um, the fortune to work with, do you feel a lot of sales teams do push this narrative internally that, oh, we're data-driven, they want to be data-driven, but again, using that analogy that you, you had about yeah, choosing yeah. the pill, when it comes to choosing the blue or the red pill, they would always opt in for... Exactly, yeah. I think it's a, it's a classic buzzword, you know, yeah. at the moment, everybody's data-driven. And really what I guess it is, is just like, 
they want to be seen as because of sort of entering sort of greenfield areas and sort of you know being forward thinking as a company because yeah. that's a cool thing to be but you know if you're actually going to be forward thinking as a company you actually need to do things differently and and there's and you're gonna you know it's going to be painful yeah yeah well no one likes pain no well some people do i guess but... <laughs> masochist <laughs> <laughs> on that note shall we take a quick tea break and play some more music from the good old heresy archives definitely oh, let's do it. Hmm. definitely in need of a cup of tea i'm, I'm beginning yeah, to stutter yeah. cool. so uh the next tune is we haven't decided where we're oh do you have a well, i don't know um, well, I, okay. Well, I say the next tune is again another favorite from uh, Mixcloud. Another mix. No, hold on a second. Let me just finish um, my sentence. But Svenna <laughs> was eager to, to to click stop recording. Uh, the next tune is um, uh, a a DJ set by um, Onra. Um, some classic Chinese beats. Enjoy. <laughs> We're live again. Mm -hmm. We are, right? 
Well, we're not live out to <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> well, we are recording. Uh, and we have some nice tea as well. Thank you, Jack. Mm, that's okay. What are we drinking? Uh, well, I'm drinking uh, Roy Boss <laughs> Earl Grey. You're drinking decaffeinated Earl Grey. And uh, you're drinking uh, peppermint, some sort of peppermint Nettle. fennel infusion yep. by Pucker Tea, other... Uh, tea companies obviously exist. They should be paying us for this uh, yeah. plugin, but they're not, <laughs> just for the record. Mm. Um, but we are having the tea in some really fancy mugs. Want to mm. tell us more about those mugs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they're my partner's uh, mum's creation. Yeah, yeah they're, they're beautiful. Potters. I wish you could see them, guys. I mm. wish you could see them. No, moving on. Moving on. What were we talking before the, the, the break? Um, I can't remember. User onboarding and challenges and challenges. getting people to love our product when they mm. see lots of red on the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, the challenge around yeah. seeking the truth and finding out that the truth is painful. Mm. Yeah, uh, and is, how do you build product around it, which does both? Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, in a way, having all the all these like scary things like skulls and flashing red borders and warning signs did help some people to actually take care a little bit more of uh, yeah, yeah. of the data and some of the things we very frequently saw was people starting to uh, update close dates on deals just so yeah. they can you know arrange them and like sort them out organize them properly in heresy which will obviously update salesforce and yeah. make their salesforce instance more organized yeah um yeah but also deleting loads of old deals <laughs> effectively using heresy as like a salesforce cleaning tool yeah yeah <laughs> yeah quite funny. yeah yeah well that that wouldn't you say that that was actually one you know if you, if you think of sort of you know overarching problems with Salesforce data is that very often the system will get clogged up by deals that should not be there. The sales rep knows that they shouldn't be there, mm. but they're just there anyway. Mm. And it sort of prevents you from seeing the, the deals that you should be seeing. So that's a good problem to, you know, to have solved. Yeah, I think mm. lack of visibility is definitely a huge problem in Salesforce, which is why, you know, all that old, old data just gathers and then obviously people have to take care of it, you know, months mm. after that and hire companies or like, engineers on contract to actually cleanse you know the salesforce instance so they can make yeah. use of that data once again yeah it's yeah. a huge problem what do you yeah. make jack actually what you know this is an interesting question for you so visibility huge problem we obviously had a stab trying to solve it um did a lot of things right some problems still remained mm. um what do you think obviously salesforce are not you know they're very smart people you wouldn't build like a multi-billion dollar company if you weren't but you know that's definitely one thing that you hear consistently oh you know i hate salesforce in terms of like how it looks i cannot find that obviously they've been trying to crack this problem for a long time they've released lightning they have their own kanban board etc what did you make of all that because you've obviously seen their product like do you think they're sort of heading the right path i mean i got a kind of i got a sense from salesforce and obviously i only really heard about salesforce when i joined heresy really <gasps> I know, it's terrible. I'm afraid to say. Uh, I didn't even know. You are not using Salesforce to organize your personal life. I know. I I mean, that would be fun to try and do, but uh, no, I'd I'd never heard of it. So, and then all of a sudden it was like, you were telling me about Salesforce and there's a Salesforce tower looming over us in our old office and stuff like that. But basically, um, I just saw Salesforce as like almost like an excuse for a company to not have to uh, hire developers to do to build the most proper system Mm. you know it's like it's so configurable as you say 
but the configurability is done by someone who's still probably going to sit and use their dreadful interface yeah. and who's bit probably you know been in the job for years and years and years and years and is just kind of finding it quite cushy and doesn't really want to yeah. make you know have too much of a challenge that's obviously a broad generalization but i'm going to make it anyway because that's how <laughs> i kind of currently see the salesforce world i suppose uh. and and also like strain like to dealing with some of Salesforce's like conferences, like the occasional, every now and again, I'll watch a, com a Salesforce conference or a part of a Salesforce conference just to kind of get a sense of what, who, who everyone was, you know, it's like, and um, that was a strange experience. Why um, so? Well, because it's sort of like, I guess it reminds me a little bit of an Af Apple kind of conference in a sense. It's try It's obviously got its um its cues from that kind of style of apple keynote sort of situation mm, mm. but then also there's a strange sort of arena type <laughs> setup where everybody's around you you know it's almost like a like there's going to be a bloodbath at the end, so. <laughs> um i didn't really understand it there's lots of people getting up and leaving and then coming back you know and so it was very breezy and and i didn't really understand it i think really from my perspective I, I and this is very very cynical perhaps but i just saw it as you just needed to go to that conference right it, like right. you didn't need to really necessarily pay attention you just needed to be there yeah um and that's what it felt like um when i was watching those so from my perspective salesforce is obviously like um extremely important to a lot of industries and stuff like that but but um but what it's doing which is essentially acting as a database yeah um is to uh, to programmers like me and possibly to Swellen is 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 you know pretty pretty standard stuff yeah, you know right. and um and so it feels like well could we do this differently yeah I think yeah probably yeah um do we need Salesforce maybe not but certainly on the interface front it's um, like I said it's it looks like a dog. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> right. Um, okay, well, obviously we had our stab at trying to um, produce a, I was going to say a better dog, but, you know, definitely if we had to, like, equate Harris to an animal, it probably wouldn't be a dog. It would be something else. Well, would you remember we came up with a, a good marketing slogan once, which was... Yeah. Um, Heresy was trying to put lipstick on a pig. It was, <laughs> yeah, basically, I think the, 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 the tagline was... Um, Salesforce, no, I was, it was basically who said you could not put lipstick Hello, on a pig right. yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. and basically having uh, a screenshot of what heresy, what Salesforce looks like after you plug in heresy. But there was another one that I came up with was, which was, um, it was the Salesforce cloud. Um, and I'd actually just taken off the top of the cloud and just put a little sort of like little whip, almost like the top of a whipped peak of a whipped cream. It was the poo and it looked, emoji, it right? ended up looking like a poo. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, one of the slogans was uh, how to polish a turd. Ooh, <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Well, we never released those, obviously. Um, and uh, no. yeah, well, talking of this, do you think we should have released them? So uh, well, the next thing I wanted to ask you guys is like things they would have done differently, if anything, what, what would it be? So these things, for example, you know, taking a, a page from Mark Spaniel's book, uh, literally, you know, um, his, his uh, Above the Cloud book, you know, he, always, like, he advocates that you should always have uh, an adversary and you should always go after the biggest guy in the industry and mm. you know for us that was Salesforce uh, and I think we were quite reserved uh, around going after them and you that, know yeah. we never released that mm. how to polish a turd um, campaign the, the, I think the... I was definitely wanting to do that in a sense <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think 
that that is something that now knowing what's obviously happened to the company I would have loved to have I would love to step in a time machine and go back yeah know? just to see but how when you're in out. that situation yeah. obviously you're like well what if this damages our reputation da, 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 all those things but I would have definitely liked yeah. to have been slightly more radical on the marketing front we were very radical in the product we were very yeah. radical in our thinking we are radical people I suppose yeah but in the, on the marketing side of things, I think we maybe could have been a bit more aggressive. Yeah, I think we may yeah. have been a bit conservative. I, you know, this is one that you know I really regret as well, actually. And I think for me, what it boiled down to was, especially when we pretty much switched full time to supporting Salesforce users, I always felt that we were just way too vulnerable to mm. pick a fight with Salesforce because if at any That's one true. moment they, they, so to speak. Uh, flip the switch mm. uh, we were left out in the cold uh, but I do true. regret it not I do regret not doing it I think mm. uh, yeah it's yeah at the same time we've done, uh, we've done quite a lot of uh, radical things and you know I think it was very visible when people were looking at our product and looking at our people's product I think it was very easy for us to stand out from the rest of the crowd yeah um, I mean not just the interface but the methodology the way of doing things and you know the name itself. You know, yeah. let's uh, let's not forget this one time when a company called from the states after oh, repeatedly sending emails, and uh, we finally got a chance to. Well, that's a good story. No, it wasn't me. Yeah, it was, they it was, tell about it? It was, <laughs> well, I think so. Um, um, one of our teammates, Stu, I think had um, shout out Stu, great salesperson. Yeah. So uh, Stu had called someone, I think, or maybe had sent an email to a VP sales in a company that shall remain nameless. Um, over in the US, really big business. Um, and a couple of days later, I think he received a call, not a, an email back, but a call straight from the VP himself um, asking for the reason why the company was called Heresy <laughs> and demanding answers why it was called Heresy. Did we know what it meant? Uh, and proceeding to um, teach Stu, well, I should say preach to Stu that if we did not change the name immediately, that company was going to go downhill and no one was going to buy it because that is disgraceful, especially mm. in the Bible Belt where he uh, he was yeah he was located. Mm. Um, I don't know what the Bible Belt is. We didn't know for for certain. <laughs> we had to Google it. <laughs> to well, see I liked how. I liked the fact that we didn't respond by taking down the picture of the burning heretic on our web page um. yeah this is probably a good place this is probably so because i think a lot of people so actually yeah this is a good segue to talk a little bit about the name of the company i think mm. you know very early on i did a blog post as to how the name it came about mm. but probably it's a good place to say a little bit more uh, 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 as to why we chose to, to to call the company heresy so if you have not heard the story if you've not read that blog post the name itself was inspired by a conversation uh, i had with neil reimer from index many moons ago so when i was leaving stack overflow um i went out for breakfast with him and i told him briefly what i was going to work on and neil was still is actually on stack overflow's board uh, and so he knew roughly what we have been doing internally a stack you know how i've been running my team etc he uh, he listened very carefully he said oh this this sounds like a brilliant idea i think it's 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 you know it's it's, it's great my only concern is that i think for a lot of old school salespeople, this is going to be an absolute heresy um <laughs> and what he was talking about was this notion of running a sales team as a team of developers which is basically is what's at the core of heresy mm. and at that moment i was like ding light bulb above my head right <laughs> couldn't wait to finish breakfast go by the domain boom um but 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 why why did i you know why did i um uh, uh, why did it get so inspired is this idea that as as you know you said jack and, and Sivillan uh mentioned earlier we 
basically took a very radical approach to um, to how sales teams are built, run, and what sales software should really look like. Um, and for those who only think of heresy as um, uh, its meaning in the uh, religious connotation, the word itself, uh, the origins of it, and what it actually means is a opinion which is profoundly at odds with the canonical truth, what's generally accepted. And we felt that our approach to sales was basically very much at odds, which is a good thing, with um, with the generally accepted way of building and scaling sales organizations. And the burning heretic, uh, <laughs> which we had on the about page, was just a reminder at how many people basically were prosecuted and burned or, you know, I don't know, tortured mm. in, in all sorts of gruesome ways, mm. purely because they held beliefs that were not, that were right, but were at odds with the religious dogma at the time. Mm. Um, and if it weren't for them, um, you know, a lot of the scientific, I'm kind of digressing here, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the one that we always, um, and this is an interesting one for you, what was the first um, instance that we pushed cold? Was it the first instance or what was your first um, Galileo? Oh, Galileo. Galileo. The Galileo is the, yeah, all, yeah, the, yeah. All, the, all the projects that we have internally, uh, that we developed internally at Heresy have code names. Yeah. So <laughs> Galileo is the main application that people use every day, log in and manage deals, do forecasting and so on. Yeah. And the person who, uh, I think I'm getting my facts right, but the person who basically maintained um, and argued with the church at the time that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth but the earth revolves around the sun yeah. and if you think about this that's you know that used to be uh uh, uh, uh you know not a, a common truth so yeah. anyway mm. nice little segue as to you know why the <laughs> company was called heresy yeah. yeah so we have nothing against existing religion so against no, any, no, no. nothing to do with religion perhaps guilty of using some religious images <laughs> on some yeah, pages. yeah yeah <laughs> and the company but, uh, is not called hearsay right? uh, oh, yeah. uh, for those of you who could not I mean, every Read. every single, pretty much every single uh, interview um, I say has has called it hearsay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, to go to go a bit to move a little bit more towards the actual methodology. How many times uh, did you, Demeter, have to explain to people why why the burn down line goes down? <laughs> Quite a few. Um, but this is this is a really interesting one, and it's not like you know. I think again, if you're coming from a developer standpoint, you know, it's almost laughable, right? And and, and yeah, you're like, oh, duh, silly salespeople. But I, I happen to be in, in that camp of silly salespeople and I was fortunate enough to have, you know, had my eyes opened, mm-hmm. you know, many moons ago, having gone through Scrum training. Uh, and it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you understand, you can just not unsee it, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's always going to, to go down. Uh, and there are a lot of psychological uh, benefits to actually tracking your progress to go on a burn down rather than the, the so desired burn up, which I am pleased to say, you know, after after a year, I managed to convince uh, yeah. you guys to, to actually oh, ship it. It was yeah. more than a year, it was more like... It was, more, it was actually two, longer. So it was, was like it? two years mm. or so, yeah. reluctantly. Yeah. At first, we, um, we introduced it just as a tiny little option <laughs> yeah. in the back uh, of the system where you can, you know, you can go to the settings and switch it. But then you even managed to convince us to put it yeah. as a toggle on the actual dashboard page. And, and if you look, if you looked, even a month after we did that change, if you looked at the uh, percentage of users who actually kept the burn down, I am uh, deeply upset to, to say 
I don't think anyone kept the burn down. Everyone... There were there were some people. Well, maybe, but maybe mostly but... most of the most of people who were using the burn down for quite a while. I think these are the people who actually got used to it. But people who have they were indoctrinated. It, yeah, indoctrinated. Well, using some terminology <laughs> here, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been. Uh, it's been mostly, I think, people who recently got into heresy or just onboarded, which would prefer, you know, the familiarity of a line going up yeah. without really taking the time to understand and appreciate. Like, yeah, I would up. include in the um, um, uh, in the episodes notes. I would include that blog post that I mentioned that uh, I did around why it makes sense for the the chart to be going down and not mm. up. I, I mean, mean, it's 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 like I, I like the fact that it goes down because it re- represents to me like the landing of something safely into yeah, a, posi- yeah. a position on the graph that you're aiming for as opposed to this idea that you could just hit through the the roof of the stratosphere yeah. and just carry on doing yeah. brilliantly yeah whereas actually predictability was more important isn't yeah. it? correct yes this will be very familiar to people who have watched our videos and tutorials <laughs> on here yeah. i'm not sure how many of them but uh... we can include links to some of them because that particular one where you know obviously you wrote the script for for all of them actually yeah. mm. little known fact that jack not only wrote the script but also narrated the voiceover because voice he's got over. such a pleasant voice <laughs> As you can hear. Uh, <laughs> I happen to find it quite whiny and horrible, actually. That's not true. It's very therapeutic. <laughs> okay. Great um, for introducing Agile. You know, this is the first time I've completely lost um, track of time. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know how long we've been um, talking, but obviously well, it's a we, fluid conversation. Been, we can... I think we've been... It's, it's, coming under, it's coming to an hour and eight minutes. Okay. So maybe I'll throw, you know, normally we try to... Get, proper talking that's, that's not proper. me pause that i i paused the recording so that is the actual talking yeah uh, and we you know we've played some music in between but I, I, anyway you know it's a great conversation with a lot to say probably you no know, we would probably need like i don't know like 10 hours we can carry on talking mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. one final thing so i did ask you know i sort of like started asking you actually and we we went in a completely different direction but things that you would do differently you know anything that would obviously we said that you know the marketing effort could have been a bit more aggressive and mm. probably we shouldn't mm. have minced our words as to how we really felt about, yeah. you know, say Salesforce and even HubSpot. We later, we did a HubSpot integration later. And one thing that we were, you know, or at least Swillen was uh, shocked to discover that HubSpot, which we thought were going to be a lot better in terms of building on compared to Salesforce mm. actually ended up being uh, um, not so well, great. <laughs> not so great, I said. <laughs> not so great, a mild way to put it. Yeah, I mean, HubSpot, uh, I mean, just to give, uh, without without spending too much time on it, HubSpot recently, or well, maybe not so recently, but, you know, they've been always known for being a marketing tool mm-hmm. and they try to go into the sales space and introduce a CRM. So the API functionality of HubSpot we found to be severely lacking. Yeah. Unlike Salesforce, which have been doing, you know, obviously mostly, they've been mostly a tool for salespeople. So the... Uh, functionality of APIs are uh, quite extensive, so you can do quite a lot in Salesforce, even though you know it's still pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but anyway, going for the third time, hopefully, final time. Back to that question. Other things. What else would you do differently, if anything? I think more integration is definitely <laughs> would have been definitely better. How t- how would you do? more integrations quickly and catering for like all the different use cases and configurations i'm not quite sure how but yeah. i think that maybe we should have pushed higher as a priority and i think some of the uh, some of the things that we've done around the interface and features and functionality i think we could have maybe tracked more metrics and be a, maybe a little bit more data driven around some of the decisions we make 
But uh, yeah, the things that were probably most important, the ones you already mentioned, I think marketing, we definitely could have done uh, a bit better. But, you know, hey, with a limited uh, yeah. limited time and limited functionality, great competition and limited, you know, we number of team members, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's mm. uh, it's so much, you know, you can focus on at a time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, from, from my perspective, I think I completely agree with everything you've just said. Essentially, um, you know, more, more marketing or more thought about marketing. Um, definitely coming in with the integration first, perhaps, would have been good. But that, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, actually. yeah. But uh, with, on the marketing front, like, you know, we got so much right, I feel. It's, it's just, that's why so many companies fail, I think, is because... You know, you, you, you literally just one thing you take your eye off the ball on, just one yeah. small, small thing. And then it, then the ingredients aren't all there to make it sort of, you know, explode in yeah. the way that many of, you know, we've grown up with exploding software companies all around us. And we kind of get that there's a moment, a tipping point. Yeah. And getting to that tipping point, I think, requires like all of these things to go right. So I don't want to kind of blame away lady luck, but like. I think it is a lot to do as well with luck as well. It's it's com a combination of, of talent, which I think there was a lot of. Um, but you know, you have to have a small sprinkling of luck there yeah. to get to, to 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 just make. You know, it just has to fit perfectly, yeah. and um, I, and it just wasn't the right time, or there was some other reason. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I do agree. You know, there's definitely a, a, a you know. I don't know, small, big percentage of, you know, the luck has to play mm. with these things. But mm. I definitely think, you know, uh, uh, the quality of our decision also is a reflection of how things panned out. Definitely. Not not to say that, you know, as you say, we made a lot of really good decisions, but there's some ones that, you know, looking back probably should have been, should we, maybe we should have got them right the first time around. But, uh, you know, going back to what Finland said, yes, that's true. And probably we would have um, done certain things faster, but then we wouldn't have learned about other things that would have come probably... Um, to haunt us later later down so uh, one thing I always wondered about here's the thing you know because obviously if you, if you think about this is we had like two very distinctive set of users which I think is a problem right so people who basically would buy heresy and um, use it um, to sort of um, get that visibility into Salesforce and to get their metrics and everything else and the, the UI benefits um, and, and sort of use it predominantly for its visual appeal and like the ease of use and then there were others uh, that would fully sign to the agile methodology that we came up with and use it to literally run their sales organizations mm. and it's fair to say that the latter were the ones that were way more engaged and the ones that are really really upset at us right now mm. uh, for having to close down the company um, and, and, you know, that goes back to what you're saying, Jack, in terms of, like, approach to marketing. Should you have basically got, gone for the low-hanging fruit? Oh, look, this solves X, Y, and Z problem that you actually have in, in Salesforce mm -hmm. versus you've never even thought about this, but once you realize what we do here, this is going to change your life and mm -hmm. you won't be able to do anything else differently. Um, so that's one thing that I, I often look back at uh, as of the last month. <laughs> I think with the marketing thing especially because it's, you know, we, we really, in order to get those loyal customers, it was a real slog, you know, to, to get those customers because we really had to teach them how the methodology that we were thinking about were, worked, you yeah. know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and we really had to handheld them. So translating 
the experience they had in learning about heresy and learning what it was about to a marketing situation or to a kind of educational situation. Yeah, it's a different approach to building the company altogether, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I remember, I think we've spoken, um, Subi and I, about this. Uh, we, we've had some great advisors um, to help us along the way, and one of them is Michael Pryor from Trello. And I, 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 had, I remember this, having this conversation with him, again, back pretty much in the early days when we were leaving, and I told him I was going to go build this company. And he said quite, I remember it very clearly, he was saying, well, two ways of thinking about it. Number one, obviously, because you're doing something so radical, do you want to go and, and, and sort of um, preach your new religion, or do you want to go and build a church? Um, and I think we kind of tried to do like a halfway thing we where, both. where yeah. we, you know, we build a church and try to teach simultaneously. And, you know, when you try to do two things, it's, you know, very rarely do they work out yeah. unless you have like, yeah, stupid amount of money and yeah, yeah which yeah. We, we didn't so you know again like that's another lesson to be learned if you try to do both you know make sure you have the right resources to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to go after them yeah um yeah. and that kind of leaves me at least this is going to be my final piece to another great advice from another great advice that we had Joel Spolsky who is also my former boss from Stack Overflow um and this is actually a Paul Graham thing actually it's not even Spolsky I don't know why I credited him with that but you know the companies startups normally die from um, suicide rather than homicide <laughs> uh, and Joe basically I know why I said it Joe had this talk where he kind of paraphrased this and said you know the inability to decide which one you want to be talking about whether you want to be a venture back company or a uh, bootstrap company is what kills you in our case I think you know if I had to pick one single thing which is a massive oversimplification of what could pan out uh, it was like sort of this indecisiveness between do we go mm. in Michael's words go build that church or do we mm. go and, and, mm. and do the religion mm. um, first and then both paths just looked so um, fun <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there's never like again uh, like but I yeah mean, we definitely gave the uh, gave the church uh, a go by yeah uh, I mean we we tried to we tried to really uh, educate people and we did a series of videos uh, the first iterations of the website were all about agile yeah. and uh, trying to get people into it and you know we we really focused on salespeople yeah. first at the very beginning yeah. with lots of cool stuff I mean we've always been a very product-centered you know company and a user-centered company but we really focused at the beginning on yeah. making this a great product for salespeople so the gamification stuff was done very early on for people who yeah. remember them and yeah we just with uh, with time, we had to switch yeah. to be a bit more grown-up, enterprisey, and uh, yeah, try to yeah. try to deliver value on more and more levels, and that's where we kind of started to spread ourselves thin. too thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah, again, like I'm not trying to take away anything from what mm. we accomplished in terms of like product, education, everything else. Yeah, we definitely yeah, we did white papers, we did videos, educational blog posts, you name it. There were so many features. So, yes, as well. and there's like tons and tons of features. But again, going back to what you started off earlier with this idea of Ferris being so slick and easy to use, the people basically go like, "Oh, this is too clean to be mm. like a." It must. It, it must have be like, no depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we got yeah. we got features that people never figured out they exist. Well, so I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. How many people know how to search for a deal on no, the I mean, that, was, yeah. that was always, <laughs> like, that was clearly always on the list uh, of things yeah, to do, yeah. but it just felt like there was never the right time to introduce. Who was it? a big fan of the of the mini burn down on the camera? God, that got I really, I, uh, I really hated <laughs> it. I, I, I liked it. Uh, and again, I can still argue that you know, it was a good idea uh, to have it, but you know, I can see why it wasn't a good idea. And the fact that it's not longer there 
is yeah. testament to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one final thing, actually, I keep on like, yeah. again, we can talk for so long. So mm. this idea of like, okay, now that you know there's the, you know, for example, from a design standpoint and from like a, a, a user experience standpoint, product looks so slick and clean that people go like, mm. You know, especially at enterprise level, and when you're mm. talking to big companies, this this mm. is like this is almost like a toy. It's like you know, it cannot be a serious software. <coughs> and we've had this conversation, Jack, where we even thought about almost not making it uglier, but like kind of slowing things down and making things like a little bit more uh, air quotations again, old school, so people can basically associate what they see with complexity and enterprise mm. added complexity. Mm. Would you do that if you had like another crack, or would you still? I think I would keep, I would change the style a little bit. I would keep the, um, I would keep the kind of slickness, I suppose. But my, what, I, what I always kind of thought, maybe what if we experimented a little bit more with kind of almost it looking a little bit like military software. Military know, software? You know, because the military software that you see in films, you know, oh, right. um, kind of have the same, they espouse the same beliefs, you know, it should be a dark theme. You know, often with sort of, you know, fluorescent green lines and things yeah, like that, yeah. you know. But it also kind of looks complicated as well. So I wonder if we'd have introduced some more kind of, yeah, sort of grid systems and sort of things yeah. to, you know, maybe some smaller text and all that. You know, we could have done, I mean, there's so much you can, you can do, I suppose. Um, so many little tweaks you can make. But yeah, I think, yeah, I would, I would always experiment with new ideas. One thing, and again, I keep on saying last question, last question, I keep on going on and on and on. This has been a lot of fun, guys. And I'm thinking, hmm. why the hell did we not do one of these earlier? Mm. So Yeah, well, we, we should have maybe done this every week. Yeah. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of the vent about, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> vent about, like, various things that we... That was another thing that I did obviously very much enjoy, is the team, team lunches. Yeah. Yeah. Lots well, this of is good food in Shoreditch. Yeah, lots of good food in Shoreditch. And uh, again, very much by design, again, um, 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 I had to to Mr. Joel Spolsky for kind of uh, uh, opening my eyes around um, this notion of breaking bread with people mm. in order to foster relationships and camaraderie on the team. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, guys. This thank has been you. an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and thank again, you. I think we should do it again, even though this seems to be the last episode <laughs> of the Heresy Podcast, season one. <laughs> I'm leaving the door open like yeah, uh, Hollywood yeah. blockbuster for yeah, the sequel. I'm, I'm going to be looking at, at the Hollywood Reporter all the time to see when the sequel's coming out. Stay <laughs> tuned. Maybe yeah. there's already something in the in the making. Mm. <gasps> cool. da, da, da. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. Some girls are bigger than others. Some girls.
Some girls' mothers are bigger than others. 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 Some girls' mothers are b